I, I just had a bit of a, a bit of an epiphany. I went, any opportunity I get from now on, I don't care what it is. I don't care if I can do it or not. I don't care. I'm just going to say yes. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? Hello, Brooke. How are you? I'm I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing all about your story and your journey because I think it's a really interesting one. Um, so, but more importantly, how are you? You've had COVID, haven't you? So, oh yeah. I mean, I thought I was I was COVID confident. That's what I'm calling it. I'm calling it COVID confidence. I had like severe COVID confidence. I thought. I was immune. I actually thought at one point that my blood was going to save the human race because I'd avoided it that well. <laughs> and then I came down with COVID and it was horrendous. Oh, and I'm like double vaxxed with the booster as well. And it really, mm. yeah, it's, it took me at least 10 days to get over. And like parts of my face started to swell. My eyes started to swell. Like the most bizarre stuff. Um, but I feel a lot better now, thanks. Like I'm nearly back to fighting kids. Oh, That's what we like to hear. <laughs> I, I had my booster a little while ago. This is deviating from what we're talking about, but I had my booster done a little while ago. And I tell you what, compared to the other two, I felt worse after the booster. But apparently it means you've got a good immune system. So I remember getting both of my vaccines. Yeah. I remember thinking after the first one, that was it. I remember being like lying on the sofa, being like, I need to get my will written. Like, I need to make sure that everything's in order. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just, I'm just one of those people that doesn't have the best reactions to medicine. So, but anyway, back, back to the chat at hand. So first question that I ask everybody is, how do you refer to your disability? And I ask this because I think, disability even though it's a massive umbrella term is actually incredibly individual to the person and so I'm always interest, interested and intrigued to see how other people refer to their disability. Yeah so uh, um, I've uh, so I've got one arm I've got a, I'm what's called a four quarter amputee so uh, my whole arm and my shoulder has gone as well I've got about two inches of my collarbone left mm-hmm. um, and my shoulder blade but um, through a uh, a motorcycle accident um but referring to my disability um it's kind of a multi a multifaceted kind of thing uh but i i came up with the term i thought i coined this term when i when i came up with it it's like i do things differently but i'm still able oh i'm differently able then and i, and I thought brilliant i've got something here i'll, I'll run with this and then i but um, and I, I've seen like you, you haven't got to dive too far into social media to find that there's a lot of pushback on it. And mm-hmm. my kind of answer for that is really, you know, we live in a time where difference is, you know, it's celebrated. You know, oh, your difference is your unique thing yeah. and, and whatnot, and celebrate being different. And so I'm like, oh, I'm differently able. And if people have a problem with that, that's not really my problem. Um, yeah. But at the same time, my disability is definitely an asset as well. Um, in that, predominantly, it's allowed me, no, it's not allowed me, sorry. It's afforded me opportunities that I've taken and run with just to see where they lead to. And yeah. just in doing that in itself, you know, I've, 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 
I've done quite well out of having a disability, you know, yeah. in, in the experiences that I've had and been able to take, you know, take part in stuff. So because you've yeah. taken part in quite a lot, haven't you? And I think I remember so vividly, I can't remember what the TV show was called, but it was like Naked no. Beach or Nude Beach That's or something fun. like that. And I remember so vividly seeing you on it. And I remember being like, oh my God, he looks like me. Like, obviously not exactly the same. I'd have been in all sorts at a time. <laughs> and I remember being like, oh my goodness, there's like, and I think you were like the only disabled body on that show. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then... I think you were involved in Invictus Games as well, weren't you? So you have had quite like a lucrative career out of this. I mean, a career is like, I mean, that's a nice word. That's kind of a, oh, if only it was a career, but I, I, I guess, I, I guess, I guess you are right. I've, um, but it's not always been shining um, no, days and sausage and beans all day long, you know, but um, I'm sure we'll dive onto that, you know, later on, but um, like Naked Beach was an opportunity that came around what 2018 but um, the Invictus Games which I did shortly after well, a few months after we, we wrapped filming that the Invictus Games was really the um, uh, what's the word it was how I got into cycling really so I yeah. well spoiler alert I'm a cyclist so um, <laughs> um I, but there's a whole story before I decided to pick cycling, but um, I, so I, I did a bike ride with um, uh, one of the military charities, Help for Heroes. Uh-huh. Um, and purely the bike was just for something that I tried to do something before and was unsuccessful at it. and just went, I need something else to do. And so I had a bike and did a ride uh, all the way, well, not all the way across, but through northern France, like all the World War One battlefields. Oh, okay, um, and just for context, like I've never seen the Tour de France or anything. And every time I've been to France in the years previous, it was always in a car or a or a bus. And yeah. I was always quite in, no, not, I wasn't impressed at all. Um, I was always quite surprised at how how far you could see because it was so flat. Where yeah. I was in these cars and buses. If anyone, ever, if anyone told tells you that if you're, not, you're not aware of this, if anyone tells you France is flat, they're a liar. Um, <laughs> the route that we did, it was just hill after hill after hill. But I got to the top of each of those hills. Um, I never got off and walked once. It was kind of a, a bit of a lesson I'd learned in things that I'd done previous. Uh-huh. Um, and I just went. At the end of that ride, the sense of achievement I got out of just doing that one ride, I went, you know, cycling is going to be my thing. I'm going to be a cyclist. What can I do in cycling? That's something to write home about. And um, I'd missed the encatchment deadline for uh, the 2017 Invictus Games, which were held in Toronto. So I just went, well, I'll go for 18 then, 2018. Yeah. Let's go. Um, at the time, um, I, I didn't really have two pots to piss in. Yeah, you know, I I just I just moved into my flat where, where, where I'm sat now. Um, I was out the back of a really bad sort of financial kind of and mental uh, mm. thing, and um, I just thought, well, you know, I I can't afford the flash kit. I can't afford the fancy kit, but I have got the internet. Google's free. YouTube's free. Um, I had a cheap and cheerful little indoor turbo trainer. 
and literally I just Googled and researched the hell out of nutrition, like basics of nutrition, indoor training, and just threw myself into cycling. Yeah. Literally as, as the dates, as the days wore on and, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the training weekends for Invictus sort of went along. I just, there was the ticks in boxes and each tick in the box was really one step closer to yeah. that goal of getting to the games. So yeah, long story short, I, 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 I went to the game shortly after in uh, Naked Beach. So it's so interesting because this actually ties in so nicely to like what I was going to go on to talk to. Is oh. that you acquired your disability, like you weren't born disabled. And so how did that impact your career and like what you were doing previously? Because I, well, I presume you were doing something completely different. I, I know you were doing something completely different. And I was just wondering if you would be able to talk about that because I think what you did with your situation in terms of going back to what you did and trying to make it work for you, I think is really laudable. And I, I really like that that's what you did and then decided that it wasn't necessarily the route for you. And that sounds so like, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. That sounds like I'm being really mysterious, but I want you to tell the story because obviously it's your story. You tell it better than me. You tell it better than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was enjoying that. Um, yeah, no, I really, because I, I really like, because I've, I've obviously researched you for this podcast, but I knew about you beforehand anyway. And I was like, oh, I really want to get this guy to talk about what he did. Because I think a lot of people will take a lot of goodness and there'll be people who will understand exactly why you did what you did. And I love that. Um, yeah, so I was in the army so for 10 years, all in all, by the time I finished. Um, but the army really was a childhood dream. Like my, my dad was in the army. So I used to watch, whilst I was growing up, I used to watch him go off, put his uniform on and go off to work. And I think I was eight years old when I told mum and dad, you know, when I'm old enough, that's that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like dad. And, um, and so growing up, like those formative years of school, definitely in secondary school when everyone was sort of um and ahhing about um what Jesus needs to do what college I want to go to what they need to go to university I was like I know what I need to I know who I want to be and what I need to do to get there yeah um so having that driving determination and direction really helped me like looking back on it now obviously I wasn't thinking that at the time but um looking back on it like hindsight's a wonderful thing but and in this case, it's worked. Um, but yeah, growing up, I, I I knew exactly what. As I got older, I knew why well, I want. I'm joining the army. Why well, I, I need to. I need to meet this criteria. I need to meet this fitness goal. I need to, and and so and so. It was a case of doing those doing doing those things, putting putting the squares in in, in the right holes and stuff. So. Um, and so I went off to basic training. I left home for the first time at 17 mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, went to Surrey where I did um, basic training. And um, it was basically it was three months at the time, taking a boy and basically turning you into, a, in, 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 into the, the person that the army want you to be. Yeah. The reliable, you know, resilient. Um, the, the list is endless. But um, um, I always knew I wanted to be in the army. I just didn't know what I wanted to do in the army. I was like, I just want to get there. Yeah. And I'll work, the, work the rest out, you know. When you're there. When I'm there. 
Um, and I think that's true in most things. I think with anything, having a goal isn't necessarily the, 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 it's good to have goals. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think that's not all you need. Sometimes a direction is good enough. Um, yeah. and, um, and, and probably better in some, in some, in some cases, but, um, so I ended up joining the army, well, obviously getting to the army and, and, um, I ended up in a regiment called the King Street Royal Horse Artillery. Uh, I mean, the clues in the name, like um, I was working with horses. I knew absolutely nothing about horses, but one thing my dad always told me growing up, and certainly when I left home to join the army, was as you're doing this, and if this is what you want to do, make sure above anything else you find a trade so that when you do leave, whether that's after four years, 10 years, 22 years, whatever the case may be, yeah. you've got something to fall back on. Like something you can leave that environment and go into a, a new environment with a, with a fully fledged skill trade and a, and a career. And so working with horses was, um, was your thing. Was my, well, yeah. Um, I, um, I heard about this uh, trade, uh, a farrier, a blacksmith they so they, they make the shoes for the horses and you know a bit of research worked out that I can make a pretty good living for myself as a fully qualified farrier with uh-huh. all that experience behind me but running parallel with that um the king's troop is 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 predominantly purely a ceremonial regiment so they take part in um queen's birthday parade um state open in the parliament and so on they fire the guns on the parks so when you hear like the you know the um, the guns being fired on the, you know, the cannons, if you like, but they are guns um, uh, fired on the park. That's the king, you know, galloping into the parks and picking them up and stuff. And their barracks are like by the mall, aren't they? Is that am I talking? No, about that's household cavalry. So they're the ones that wear, you know, white horses with. Um, I call it tin. But it's 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 caress, like all the shiny metal and, yeah. and so on. But, and the great big long boots, but. Um, <laughs> But they've got they've got a dual role, so they're ceremonial, but then they're also what's called formation reconnaissance. So it's like an operational role as well. Um, but um, King's Troop is purely a ceremonial regiment. Uh, it was founded in 1947 by King George VI um, solely to take part in the great ceremonies of state. And then when the Queen um, took over the throne, she kept it in in his honour. So. Um, a little history lesson there um, and um, um, so going into a ceremonial regiment um, and wanting to be a farrier um, I couldn't justify being in the military and even if only once not doing what I determined and what I called green army um, uh-huh. things so I wanted to do an operational tour I wanted to do some adventurous training I wanted that life experience I didn't want my entire military experience just be based around in the UK. Yeah. Prancing around on a horse in, in front of royalty and so on. I, I wanted some life experience. I wanted some world experience. And, and the army is the best, or well, the military, it doesn't matter what you go into, but the military is you know, the best place for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of had some prerequisite boxes I needed to tick. So an operational tour, and adventurous training and and certainly I went off to Afghanistan in 2007 mm-hmm. came back from there um 
And then about a few months afterwards, I was trekking through Nepal in the Himalayas. So you're getting um, the life experience that you I got the life experience, yeah, all before my 23rd birthday. Wow. And um, and um, I returned from Nepal and I just went, well, I've, that's my box is ticked. Now I'm ready to screw the nut and play the game now. I want to be a farrier. Yeah. Um, and so I was also the trumpet of the regiment. So I used to go out, it was called Parade Commander's Horse Holder. So I would ride out in front of all of my regiment behind the commanding officer or whoever's leading the parade for our regiment. Yeah. And I would play all the bugle calls, walk, trot, canter, gallop, draw swords, put them away, turn left, turn, all of it. Yeah. Um, as well as all the calls throughout the day. So Ravalli and everything up until mm-hmm. last post in the evening. Um, and I can't read a note of music um, it, then or now. So um, so you were really good at your job. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and um, um, they were, that's fine. We'll, get, we'll, get, we'll, we'll start making that tra- transition for you into the forge. And mm-hmm. uh, the forge is where farriers work. Uh, however, we need to get Queen's Birthday Parade trooping the colour out of the way. And so I was like, right, no worries. Okay, brilliant. Roll forward to 2009. Um, I uh, I took part in a the first full dress rehearsal, which is usually the Major General's view mm-hmm. of Troop in the Colour. And the following day, I went out on my motorbike on a Sunday. So Sunday, the 31st of May of 2009. Went out on my motorbike, Ace Cafe, had a little ride on the way back to the barracks. Yeah. I collided with the central reservation, ripped my arm and shoulder off, broke both my ankles, smashed my left forearm to absolute bits and pieces and woke up sort of two, two days later in the rural London at Whitechapel, an arm and shoulder lighter, my legs in bandages and my arms suspended from pole with fixators into it. And um, yeah. And then so sort of coming around to how, I, how, do I, how did I adjust to it? I don't remember much from hospital. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was I was in all sorts of drugs, but <laughs> morphine being the main one. But I was going to say you'd have to be. There's there's no way around that. I mean, so so I was airlifted by Hems. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone that lives in London, it's the, it's the red helicopter you see flying over. Um, I was airlifted by Hems, and I'm good friends with the paramedic who came out to me, a guy called Owen Walker. In fact, he's. He's one of the best men at my wedding next year. But um, oh, that's amazing. Um, he he he's told me a lot. I love listening to it, but he's told me a, a, quite a bit. But they, because um, as well as that, I'd lacerate my internal jugular as well. Um, so to keep me kind of still, they put me into an induced coma in the road. Yeah. Um, with like ketamine, and he, he said that's probably why you can't remember a lot. Yeah. Um, like even now, I don't even get flashbacks or anything. Um, That's so and, uh, interesting. It's I. No matter how many times I hear it from him, I find it. I find anatomy really interesting and 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 biology and stuff. But I did really bad at school in it, so it's weird. But um, but um, how I adjusted to it. So I can't remember much from hospital, but I do remember the doctor came in with his registrar and. Um, they were like, yeah, you've been in a horrific motorcycle accident. You're very lucky to be alive. And, and then started giving me the good news of my injury load. 
injured people, you've got two broken ankles, they'll need to be set with pins. Well, one of them will. Um, excuse me. Your left arm will need to be set in rebuilding with plates and so on. They're still in, they'll, they'll never come out. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, after six and a half hours of surgery, uh, we were unable to save your right arm, thinking it would end there. And he went, and your shoulder. And I remember looking over to where this should have been, like, yeah, like, my, shoulder. like my shoulder, and was the pillow. And I had a little black, I had a little black um, piece of material with a straw coming out of it. It was stapled on. So I didn't have enough skin to cover the hole. Um, and, um, and um, yeah, and, and I think that's the only time that I've ever been kind of visually upset about my situation. Uh-huh. I remember, but anyway, it's a massive shock to the system. And I think what went through my mind, um, at 23 years old, what went through my mind was the forward thought of the rejection. I'm going to be rejected from anything. Because at the time, mm-hmm. and disabled people were kind of, shunned if you like like or not 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 shunned is the wrong word but like hidden away they were never on television they were never you know no one was this is pre-2012 right so like 2012 changed a lot of things with, with the london olympics especially yeah. in the uk and especially yeah. around the paralympics and how it was broadcasted and and presenters and all that kind of stuff so there was a massive you know, there's a massive change around 2012, but I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Before then, there, it wasn't really on TV. Oh, of course, yeah. You look at disability now, um, and, uh, you know, that whole, the whole, um, what would you call it? Um, uh, demographic, if you like, um, of disabled people, whether it's whether it's acquired or, or, or um, inherited. Yeah. Um, you look at it now, to, compared to, you know, pre twenty twelve, it's it, it 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 it's hot and cold. It's black and white, isn't it? So it's um, so when I was told that you know your arm and shoulder's gone, that it's never coming back. Um, it was the it was the it was the forward thought of what the hell am I going to do now? Like, yeah, who hires disabled people? Who who? Well. Am I going to stay in the army? You know, because I was, I was, I was in for the long haul. And, um, but after I looked around the room and everyone was obviously quite somber and upset, and obviously, um, I just pulled the nurse and pulled the nurse's gown and she came over and I said, um, I said, is the plumbing still attached and working? Like verbatim. <laughs> and she sort of laughed and it got a few laughs and she went, that's fine. I mean, you've got a catheter in, but that's fine. Um, and I went, you know what? Nothing else really matters to see. I said, there's people worse off than me. I'll get over this. Um, you know, I, I, I don't live with cancer. I don't, I don't live in a war-torn country. I'm certainly yeah. not at war um, in, in a country. No one's invading my country. I mean, that's more relevant now. But you, you think of all, the, all the, the bad things that go on in life. Yeah. Poverty, cancer, terminal illness in general. I've just lost my arm and shoulder. Yes, that's really bad, but you know we can we can we can uh, uh, adapt and overcome to that. So yeah, um, in the grand scheme of things, actually, 
missing your, like in the grand scheme of things missing your arm and shoulder is not like you know the be all or I mean I mean the worst it get for me I can't clap there's <laughs> there's bigger problems to have in there so um um I laugh and joke about it all the time sorry yeah but I've also said the exact same thing on an interview before, which is why I'm finding it so funny. I mean, people go, yeah, you can clap your chest and your tummy and your legs. That's not clapping as I wish. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but, um, um, and so, so, yeah. And so looking back on that as well now, like that's the moment I kind of accepted my situation for what it was. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm going to be a man with one arm for the rest of my life. Like no matter how advanced, medical science gets yeah that my arm i'm not a new my, my arm we're not new are we our arms don't grow back you know no. or, or 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 anything so it's it's kind of like that is what it is that's a situation where rather than focus on what what i can't do what can i do um i was right hand dominant so i was like well i just have to learn to write again then and it's quite funny mum went out and got me a um I found it the other day. I was having a dig out of my flat, actually, an early uh, an early learning writing book. Um, it's aged five to six years. <laughs> when mum went and got it, I got like a weekend release from, from my ward. Yeah. Um, I, went with, I went to the town with her. I couldn't get in because I was in an electric wheelchair. Um, I couldn't get through the door. Um, it weren't wide enough. Mm-hmm. And um, so mum walked in. She went, you've got any... Um, like learning write writing books though right um, learn to write books and the guy goes yeah what age please she went 23 yeah <laughs> and the look on his face what and I was waving no it's me yeah <laughs> but um yeah and but hospital was a I set my first ever goal in hospital uh-huh. um they'd um I won't go into the ins and outs of it but they wheeled me into the toilet after having a procedure done um I wasn't passing anything. So they said, when you're finished, pull the orange cord and somebody will come and sort yeah. you out. Yeah. Um and um I went, no. I said, if I'm not having that, like Do you want a bit of dignity. A bit of dig- dignity. I'm trying to pick my words here, but like um if if, if I can't clean myself up. And I have the ability to be able to do so. I need to have a word with myself. And I said, I need my independence back. I don't want anyone doing anything for me. And that's not a pride thing. That's not me uh, refusing help at all. But if I've got the ability to be able to do something, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, so, and that was it. What do we need? To, and, and there's so much involved that you don't even think about with independence. Uh-huh. I just thought, well, I'm in the perfect place to start, hospital, visiting hours are only sort of three hours a day. I've got all of the rest of that time outside of those visiting hours. I can either I can watch whatever nonsense is on TV in the daytime. I think it was Jeremy Kyle was all the rage at the time. Um, um, and, or I can start adapting to this new way of life. I was right-hand dominant. So, um, and I think with left and right-handed, you're born left and right-handed, aren't you? So, so I just used to sit in this book, write my name. I start with the alphabet. So I write like half the alphabet, like 
really badly. Um, and one, once I perfected that, I'd write the other half and then I'd write the whole half in one go. And it's just like little goals. Yeah. But I, I never really, I, I never realised really. That's really bad English, isn't it? I, I never really realised really. Um, <laughs> I never, I, I never quite understood and took, uh, took on board how, and no one would, but how fundamentally life-changing goal setting would become later on in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How breaking down those goals into small achievable chunks makes the bigger ones achievable. But we move, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and that and it says so much about your character and the and your own mindset that you know you've had quite a tragic accident, but actually as soon as it happens, you're already focusing on how you better yourself and your situation that you you've been given and the, and the cards that you've been dealt and I think that's incredibly laudable because I think a lot of people who have been in that situation no, don't necessarily have that same mindset and don't necessarily have the same mental strength that you showed that you have and I think that's incredible Thank but I, I just I love the fact that you were like right it's time to give away independence back let's just start right here right now there was none of there was no like I don't want to say moping about because it, you know, it, it can be very tragic for people to be in these types of accidents. And I'm not taking away from that at all, but it's it's almost like for you, it was like, right, this is a situation. These are the cards that we've been dealt with. We either move on or we sink and I don't want to sink. I'm going to move on. Well, exactly. Um, it's, I think sympathy has its place, like whether that's, you know, sympathy for yourself or, or sympathy from others. Um it has its place, absolutely. Um, but it comes a point where there has to come a point where you need to let go of it, and and because it will just weigh you down. Uh, I think I think the best way to put it is it's like it's like a weight, and you're treading you're treading water. Eventually, you need to get rid of the weight, otherwise you're going to drown. And um, and I think that's kind of I mean, I'm thinking on my feet now, but that's kind of um, how I look at anything. Like, sympathy is all well and good, but there has to come a point where you've got you, get over it's the wrong, the wrong, the wrong, um, the wrong phrase. But you move forward. You move moving forward. That's it. That's one. Um, you, you you've got to move forward. Because otherwise, what you go, you go backwards, or you just stop and nothing happens. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but um, I've lost where I was now. Um, <laughs> you're in hospital and you're you're about to come out. That's it. Yeah. So um, I got moved from the Royal London at Whitechapel, went to the hospital in Swindon because that's where home was at the time. That's where my mum was living. Mm-hmm. Um. And then from there, I went to Headley Court, and that's kind of really where, do you know what? I guess it solidified for me that, um, you know, I said there, there are people worse off than me. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw some of the injuries coming through there, um, and I just thought to myself, and I think it's the first time I saw PTSD as well, like, uh, um, and, and other cognitive issues. And I thought, I'm so lucky I don't have those things because you can see my arm that I ain't got one. 
you can see that they've got no legs. You can see they've got an arm and both legs missing, but you can't see this guy with with complex PTSD, and you can't see this guy that's now got a learning difficulty because of a blast injury to the face or something. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Do you know what? Like, I, I really will get over this. Like this is you know it's, it's going to be a bit of a thing, but I don't have. I don't have underlying issues um, yeah. that the world can't see, that no one can see. And I think that's the thing with disability is not all disabilities are visible. Um, but people that aren't disabled only like what they can see. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, and they only appreciate they only appreciate the bits they can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember going out, moving forward, I went out... Um, um, I was in a recovery center and one of the a good friend of mine has complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out, manages it really well. We went out to um, a pub um, in Tidworth and he just dropped to the floor. Um, there was a loud bang. Um, yeah. Or dropped a tray of glasses, loud bang. He dropped to the floor um, and people were just walking over him going, oh, you just stop drinking. You're pissed and you're an embarrassment. And I was like, oh, oh. it makes you angry. It makes you angry. It's like, you don't know this person. You don't know what he's been through. And your first jump to um, um, assumption is that he's absolutely drunk. Yeah. He wasn't. He was on all sorts of drugs. He didn't mix the two. But, um, um, but, but it, it's things like that that make you sort of stand back and go, how ignorant can people be? Yeah. And I think that's a really important point is, and what you said is so true is that actually disability, all disabilities are not visible. So you can't see every single one of them, but people who are non-disabled or who don't have a disabled body only want to see the difference. They, because if you can see it, you can process it. Whereas if you can't see it, sometimes it's incredibly difficult to process and, yeah. and that's like a big, it's a big talking point and a big turning point is that actually we need to realise that not, like you said, not all disabilities are visible. Mm. And yeah. you know, that's, so, that uh, itself comes with a whole myriad of other problems, but that's for a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, absolutely. Let's not go, let's not start that. But um, um, so being at Headley Court, being around all these other people and people are, the, the, you know, the, they're, the people at Headley Court, the, the, the patients, if you like, at Headley Court, they're all at various stages of their recovery journeys, you know, of their stay at Headley Court. And so I would watch people, like, just smashing life. Like, you know, like someone's lost their legs. But this guy lost his legs, but now he's got his prosthetics and he's learning to walk again. This guy lost his arm, not me. Um, this guy <laughs> lost his arm. He's now got a prosthetic arm and he's living a fully functional life. Oh, he's, he's, he's going out and doing all these challenges, though. And, and and being around these people inspired me. Um, inspired, and it was. Oh, I went, Do you know what? I'm going back to the army. Like this isn't the end of my career at all. And so I left Headley Court and then went back to my regiment on a gradual return to work program, mm-hmm. um, which is about two months long. And then I went back full time. So I was back in my regiment, back in my uniform, um, albeit with an arm missing. Um, and um, I found out pretty quickly that I was never going to be a farrier. You can adapt things so much, you know, to a point. But with 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 that that trade, I mean, I'd need at least 
a stamp. Um, there are I've just some with. things that require two hands. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I kind of kissed that one goodbye, and I thought, well, we'll just see what we'll see where we go with this. And um, so I was running the guard room at the time, and um, um, I so I learned to ride a horse again. Um, I thought I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a horsey regiment. I kind of owe it to you know the nature of the job to learn to at least ride a horse again. So I learned to ride again. Became the first amputee rider in the in the regiment. Mm-hmm. Um, probably in its history because you know we don't send horses to war anymore. So um, yeah, exactly. So like, well done you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it absolutely. Um, but um, and then an opportunity came around to learn to rock climb. I went rock climbing in Spain for ten days. Um, and it was unadapted rock climbing. Um, and it was 10 days in Calpe in Spain. So in, in between Benador and Valencia, in between Benador and Valencia. And um, I became the lead climber of that kind of trip. You know, I was going yeah. first on the rock, putting the carabiners in and putting the rope through. Um, and I remember thinking, when I was at that rock face thinking, do you know what? If I've adjusted to this way of life as seamlessly as I if I have yeah there's someone at my door <laughs> when I answer I'll pause this and you can answer okay. it there we go so um yeah I was um after this rock face just thinking if I've if I've adjusted this way of life as you know as seamlessly as, as I have and with a excuse me excuse me and with a smile on my face and again pardon me I've got nothing to worry about but I returned back to the UK and I think four, five months after that, I was told like that the MAD are going through cutbacks. You, you're a non-deployable soldier. Um, therefore, you'll be medically retired. Oh, and wow. that, that was, uh, I had no say in the matter. It was, it was kind of like that. It, this is what it is. Um, I remember walking into the medical board that day um, and it was weird. And uh, it's, Essentially, just when the minute you leave this room, there's a there's a whole process to it. It's more to it than just this. But at the end of that medical board review, they went, the minute you leave this room, you are no longer insured to do anything military ever again. And that included making cups of tea for anyone other than yourself. So um, that's, that's it. Like you're you're kind of cut off at the knees. Pardon my friend. Yeah. Um, but what it was, um, so because I was because I was a regimental trumpeter or one of um it, the regiment had just moved from St. John's Wood to Woolwich. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, uh, Camilla Parker Bowles, um, I, I can't remember their title, the, no, Cornwall, the, the Duchess of Cornwall, that's it, um, uh, was coming to open the, the barracks. It had just been renamed King George VI Lines. Uh-huh. And so I had to play a royal. Uh, royal fanfare for her arrival my medical board was before this happened I went look, I said I, I've got to play this I've got to play this trumpet call for yeah. um, uh, state visit today and I went well pretend I never heard that but minute minute you finish you come off that parade square you hand your uniform back in and you go back to the block like the accommodation um, and that's it um, yeah it was, it, it, it was kind of weird but when I when I got told that when I got told that, it was, I was more excited about the unknown 
there was a fear of the unknown. Yeah. But I think the excitement part of it was was more prominent. Mm-hmm. Like the army was all I knew. Um, certainly from my adult years, you know, 17 to 27, I just knew was army, routine, um, and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and um, so from there... I went back to hospital. So from the regiment, I went back to hospital. I had my left ankle fused. Um, um, so I've got up and like dorsal, but no pronation, supination. So I can't run. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I used to hate running for the bus, to be honest. So yeah. Why was you in the army then? Yeah, so you do is run. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and yeah. Um, from there, I went to one of the Help Hero Recovery Centres uh, called Tedworth House. And it was there, it was just about doing what I can to kind of get used to a slower pace of life, but yeah. also do as much as I could within the six months that I had between um, medical board and, 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 and actually coming out of circulation, if you like. Um, um, but because I had my ankle fuse, I was now in a wheelchair for three months. So I'd lost three months of doing any courses because I couldn't get through the doors of my wheelchair. I couldn't wait there. Um, and everything was upstairs um, and no lift. That's what you wanted. Yeah. Um, and um, so I just did little things like, I think it was things like doing town quizzes of like Winchester and stuff, like, which don't get me wrong. Right. I just thought I'm 27 years old. I feel like a 13 year old schoolboy. Um, and but I learned so much about these plays like Winchester and stuff, and uh, I found them quite quite entertaining um, and whatnot. Once those three months have finished, I kind of like right. I need to learn how to write a CV. I need to yeah. do some courses and stuff like because I was going to be a farrier. I was kind of tunnel vision with it. Like, I wasn't interested in what was outside of. Yeah. Things that weren't required to become a farrier. I was like, once I get into the forge, that's my career and that's my life set. That never happened. So I was a bit ignorant to other things with regards to anything else. But um, so I did as much as I could. I had my CV. I had some adult course, adult, adult numeracy and literacy courses because I did really bad at school. Um, and um, sort of came out, went back home to Somerset and um, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a month to myself just to unwind, like get used to Let's not see being happy, see where it takes me. I got bored after two weeks. <laughs> um, and that, and then that, so that was October. I, my last day in the army was the 20th of September, 2012. By the middle of October, I was bored. I was like, I need a job. I need, I need to do something. Yeah. Um, and and but from the middle of October up until the following year, literally was the worst year of my life. Like the worst than losing the arm. Um, just it became that year. It wasn't even a year. It was eight months. Um, became like three hundred and rounded up three hundred twenty seven, three hundred thirty, three hundred twenty seven job applications, yeah. of which not one led to anything sub basic. Like no networking opportunities. Nothing. Nothing. Um, I think of them, I had about five or six replies that said, you haven't got the skills or experiences that we require. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God, like, I, I, I bloody well have. Um, 
And, but running parallel with that, I was living on my savings. Um, any penny I'd ever saved. You know, say what you want about the military. It is a perfect money-saving exercise because you're not paying rent and bills or anything yeah. like that. And if you are, it comes out before it hits your bank and it's peanuts anyway. Um, and after eight months, after eight months, it had all gone. It had all gone. Um, um, and I remember I had to retax and reinsure my car. Um, and I went to pay for it online and it, the car declined. And I remember I went to my online banking and um, I had 15 pence to my name. It gone. All gone. Run, what I didn't know and what everyone else could see was I, I was I was reclusive. I was depressed. And I think the thing with depression is, is everyone else can see it. But until you kind of admit it to yourself, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think mum and dad had gone. Mum and my stepdad had gone out to work that this morning. It was uh, an August morning, and I got out of the shower and I caught my reflection in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And I was like a bit overweight. I was gaunt, unkept. I was grey. I had no colour to me whatsoever. Coupled with just having my, you know, fifth, the discovery of of fifteen pence in my name, I was like, what? What? Have I looked in the mirror. I was like, what have I really got to look forward to? Like. Oh. like Honestly, what have I got to look forward to? Like, I've been through enough, you know, and I've done it all and adjusted. I've taken everything that life's thrown at me and I've essentially caught it and thrown it back. And at some point, it's run forward to catch it. But like, if this is what life's got in store for me after everything I've been through, I'd, I'd really rather not be part of it. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I went back into my room, shut the door and I got I got halfway, f- oh, I tried hanging myself. I tried, got halfway through doing it. Oh um, halfway through doing it and then for whatever reason the thought of my mum finding me had come over me like, what, what's mum going to do when she finds me she comes in from work having a nice day at work to find a this boy dead in the bedroom yeah. what's mum going to say and I was like I need to get back to London yeah I don't know where that came from but I was like I need to get back to London uh, how the hell am I going to get back to London I've got nothing and in a twist of fate I was offered a job as a chauffeur. Like my mum had contacted help here. As I said, mum, I need, you know, I need help. Like, I don't know yeah. what to do. I never told her how bad it got until about three years afterwards. But um, in a twist of fate, I was offered a job as a chauffeur um, mm-hmm. this startup company based in London. And so I lived in, um, I moved to a spare room of a friend's house. Uh-huh. After a little while, they, I had to leave. I had to leave, and moved into a like a, a a static caravan. Okay, yeah, yeah. It wasn't that good. Beyond, honestly, <laughs> like it was. This thing was absolutely honking. It was awful. Um, I the roof leaked. The, oh, the, the no. roof leaked. There were trees growing through like the, the slats of plastic and so on. I was right underneath Terminal 5. Um, like the place was that low. If I looked on the roof, you'd probably see the tyre marks. Um, but but obviously I had no money. So in the winter, I couldn't afford to... Um, I couldn't afford to keep replacing the 
the gas canisters. The only luxury of that of that caravan was I could flush the toilet. It wasn't. It was plumbed into the grid, so I didn't have to wait for the cesspit man to turn mm. up and empty it. Like that was the only luxury I had of it. Yeah. Um, and there was so there were some days early on. There were some days early on into in, certainly into moving into that into that caravan that I would work seven days a week because the car was the only warm place that I had. Um, but I mean, oh, I just looked at the caravan. I just thought, do you know what? This is my home. I've got somewhere that I can use the toilet and sleep, like, and I, I'm, my bills are paid on time. That's all I care about. Yeah. I, I think that's I think when you break things down into the absolute bare necessities and the bare essentials, like, I've always found it quite surprising what you're willing to put up with. Um, yeah. And, uh, I just thought I, one day I said a, I said a bit of a, a bit of a. I asked myself an internal question really, and it was, you know, I'm driving these people around. These, I'm, I'm surrounded by absolute success, affluence, uh-huh. people of, of, of prominent public profile. Yeah. And at one point, I was embedded into the Royal Muse, I was driving dignitaries and driving into the palaces and so on, and Windsor Castle yeah. and Buckingham, and just driving people around and. And whatnot, but early 2014, I was just like, "What's what? What gives these people they get up and go? Like, what what are they doing when no one else is looking? Because that's when it matters the most." Yeah. Um, and I just began to cherry pick personality attributes and things, and essentially, it transpired that it was the the use of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some clients that I would drive for. They didn't start work till nine, but I was picking them up at like half five because they were going to the gym. They were going to, they were doing, or they were doing their own sort of stuff before work. And I was like, well, if it's working for them, why can't it work for me? And so that's what I would do. I'd get up three hours earlier than I need to, and I'd go for a walk around the village that my caravan was in. Uh-huh. And then I, but I always found it quite surprising how more awake I was by the time I got back. Um, and it set me up for the day. And I was like, well, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, something I'm going to have to apply or I'm, I'm going to apply to myself. And so I became a bit of a student again. But just, like a life it, student, really, because you're trying student, and you know. testing different methods of Yeah. Of and then... Success. And then... Go on. <laughs> you, know, you carry on, you carry on. I'm, I'm like so engrossed in this story because I think... And then literally I just went... I, I, I just had a bit of a, a bit of an epiphany. I went... Any opportunity I get from now on, I don't care what it is. I don't care if I can do it or not. I don't care. Um, I don't. I don't care. I'm just going to say yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so twenty. So I'll try and get this in order. There are more, but these are ones that I can remember. Um, twenty fourteen. Uh, I took the. I took an opportunity with a charity called Depth Therapy to learn to and subsequently qualify as an open water paddy scuba diver they flew me out to egypt um on a trip and i qualified in egypt um and went diving in the red sea i then came back learned to fly a plane um i never got my license though um i then gave wing walking a go oh i love that uh it's good fun now i recommend that to anyone um the idea of it is absolutely ridiculous but once you're up on top of that wing, flying around, doing whatever, it is the most freeing feeling ever. Yeah. Um, 
and then and then so this is the precursor to cycling now. Twenty, the back end of twenty fourteen turned up, um, and an advert had come out from um, an organisation called Row to Recovery, mm-hmm. and they were putting together the world's first all disabled crew to row unsupported across the Atlantic Ocean, so three thousand miles from the Canary Islands to Antigua in the Caribbean. Okay, yeah. uh, I knew nothing about rowing. Absolutely nothing. Diddy squat. Um, the best I ever did as a kid, going in a little rubber dinghy, a little rubber dinghy across a, a lake. Um, uh, and I wasn't even rowing. So um, You were just sat there for the ride. <laughs> sat there for the ride, enjoying it as a kid. Um, so I thought, right, I'm going to throw myself into rowing. And I just turned up for the selection days. I was the only person with one arm Mm-hmm. To turn up. and as as it was it's about a year-long process all in all and um i turned up selection days in between chauffeuring i was in the gym i was in i was in i was in a gym on the in, an indoor yeah. rower the routine for that row was two hours on two hours off um 24 hours a day for up to three months wow i've got over two hours um tore my hand to shreds like on the because there was no adaption for the handle yeah the and, and those concept two rowing machines the handles are plastic molded so there's a bit where it meets in the middle and so i was ripping my hands to bits and blisters and all sorts yeah I went up to work like with a chauffeur with all like, these plasters and stuff on <laughs> and um i just turned up selection days trial days and i'd watch people you know not be able to carry on for whatever reason and I did I got to final selection and I did my final selection with with three of the selected four crew uh-huh. and I was arrogant about it I went I've definitely I've, 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 I've got a very good chance I've got this um and then I got the phone call like about a week later uh and they just went you know um, thanks very much for you know for 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 lending yourself to the process um you've surprised a lot of people however um, we have selected the four crew um, and unfortunately you're not one of them. And oh. I wasn't upset about it. Yeah, I, I wasn't disheartened about it because one thing I learned about that row and 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 all the bits about it was of what I, I, I learned what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the takeaway I took from that and I still apply to everything now is there's no shame in giving up. Like nobody should be made to feel ashamed for giving up. But yeah. running parallel with that, there's no success in that either. If you give up, there's no success. Um, and success isn't just being selected. It isn't just winning the medal. It isn't just getting the promotion. It isn't just um, whatever the outcome is, getting that outcome. Mm-hmm. But if you can hold your head up high and say, do you know what? I busted my absolute tits off for this. I worked hard and I bent over backwards for this. And I got this far, do my absolute best. Do you know what? I'll take that as a win. That, that's a win. Yeah. And so I, just, I, I, I put the phone down and I went, I need something else to do. Mm-hmm. And I had a bike. And so I'd signed up. I'd, I'd been taken away to learn to ski in the winter of 2016. Um, fifth, uh, winter of 2015, sorry, after the, the phone call. 2016 came around and as a thanks for taking me on this free holiday, they had these rides, uh, some spots in the London Night Rider of 2016. And so, oh, you know, I'll raise some money and you know, help the next lot come in through, the next veterans yeah. come through. Um, 
And so I did this London Night Rider. Like it was, I got pulled off the course in the end, but there's a reason for that. But um, I'd also got a spot on another ride uh, with Help for Heroes, their big Battlefield bike ride. I was chatting about this morning earlier. Sorry, um, I hadn't planned it very well. Um, it transpired that the morning, the Sunday morning that I finished the Night Rider, was the same Sunday morning I had to be at St Pancras Station. Uh, to go and travel to France to start the first leg of this ride. Yeah, one day, and, <laughs> and the first and this this ride on the Monday was longer than the night rider itself. Just uh, what you want. Yeah, so I literally I went. Do you know what? This would be a good story somewhere. I've never <laughs> I've, I've, I've never worked out how to tell it properly though, but um, uh, I'd do it justice. But um, I got to the end of that ride that it was 400 miles over five days across France and the hills I I never got off a walk my attitude and it still is now there'll be a good view at the top of this hill and 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 it'll be nice to look back on the hill to see how steep it was and how far I've come and stuff Uh but if I get off a walk I wouldn't have earned it yeah I wouldn't be deserving of it um and so that's kind of every hill that was in France. And then there, there were loads um, in France. Um, I got to the end and a sense of achievement I got out of it. I was like, I'm going to be a cyclist. What can I do in cycling? That's something to write home about. And, and, and so subsequently set the goal for the Invictus Games of 2018. Yeah. I think we've gone full circle now. I was going to say like, that was such a perfect, like full circle moment. And I think like, what, I love the fact that you, you complete something and then you're like, okay, like that was all good and well, what's next? And you, it's almost like that's what's got you through everything that's happened, but you've been given so many different opportunities. You've almost been able to try loads of different things until you found the thing that actually worked and stuck for you. Yeah. And yeah, that's incredible. It's been, I, I'm always looking for the next thing, like, um, yeah, I just, I just, I, I enjoy, there's enjoyment in finding a thing, but then um, I think the biggest enjoyment factor of it is the process of doing what needs to be done to be able to achieve that thing. So yeah. I'm off, I'm doing Race Across America. I'm off, I'm off on Sunday actually to California mm-hmm. to go and do Race Across America. Um, um, but I, I've, I, and that was something that came around after I finished the Invictus Games. It's like, what can I do? What else can I do in cycling? I don't want to be this games to be like, you know, yeah. the pinnacle by doing cycling. Um, and, um, but the, the race was America was supposed to be in 2020. Obviously COVID happens. Happened, so they got postponed. And then because of travel restrictions and, 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 and so on, um, it was cancelled in 2021 as well. And so 2022 has been, um, you know, it's a third time lucky. But yeah, I look, yeah. I've looked at those two years and gone. Well, I've had two years to train. Yeah, I've had, I've had two years to become a better cyclist, um, and 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 that's really kind of how I've how I've approached certainly the last two years anyway. But if ever you find that you have got nothing to do, find something you like and then work out how 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 you could be as good as you can at it. It doesn't matter what it is. You ain't got to be a cyclist. Um, 
Well, we're so, escaping became a thing in in lockdown, didn't it? And yeah, you, you you see some of the people that that took up skipping because of you know, being furloughed or whatever, or or you know found a hobby. But were you skipping in this context? But and then you look at them now, it's absolutely amazing. It's cool to watch, and and I think that's the best thing of learning to do or or, or trying to become good at something is you can always see how far you've come based on what you're like now. Um, and it's that's always, if you're lacking motivation for something, look at yourself. So, yeah. And I think this ties really nicely because I always ask or, or wonder, wonder is probably a better word than ask, whether, you know, people who acquire their disability or, or born disabled, whether having their disability gives them like some might say a positive attribute some might say a driving force I'm not necessarily sure what the best term for it is but I always do think that there is some form of positive attribute in having a disability and if you can find it that's incredible so would you say that you with your whole journey because your journey is not just like one thing your journey is not just oh I've become disabled you have a whole you have a whole myriad of journeys that you have gone on since and going through all of those, would you say that you learn something positive about yourself throughout all of this? Um, yeah. Do you know what? I got asked a little while ago, but uh, well, something similar anyway, I think I've always been a positive, but like, I can't remember who I was before disability. Like, mm. um, like I've made a conscious effort and I, and, and I'm, and I'm brutal about it as well, but I've made a conscious effort about, I don't concern myself with things that I can't control. If I, if I can't do anything about it, move on. Yeah. I'll do things I can control. But um, I can't remember who I was before the accident, before disability, but I think I was always a positive person. Uh-huh. I think I think disability made me a better person. Um, because empathy is, is, a, is a massive thing. You, you kind of... You, you kind of... A, yeah, empathy. We leave it at empathy. You, you you appreciate people's struggles more um, because it's it's whilst it might not be a similar thing, it's it's certainly a lived experience. Um, yeah. Um, but I would say that I look. I treat my disability as an asset. Nothing more. Nothing less. Um, it's it's. I love talking about it. It's the perfect icebreaker to any situation. Um, <laughs> I mean, I walk into a room of able-bodied people, I am the most interested person in that room, um, yeah. which is arrogant, I know, but at the same time, I know who I am. Um, um, and you always know you're the interested person in the room. Do you know how? Because everyone looks at you. Yeah. <laughs> people call it staring. Let them stare. All attention is on you. And, and I love talking about my story, and I've learned so much about myself because of what's happened to me. Yeah. Um, that it, I'm able to have pretty good conversations with people. Um, and I just think that, I just think, I just think that that's an asset. I think that is an absolute asset in itself. Like, yeah, definitely. Because you're yeah. able to talk about, you know, your journey, you're able to talk about the things that you discovered about yourself, but also 
you know, and thank you so much for sharing how low that you did get, because not a lot of people would share that information. And, and thank you so much for, for telling me that. And thank you so much for saying it on this podcast, because I think a lot of people would almost be too afraid to say that that's how bad it got for them. But but you spoke about it so openly that I can only like thank you for, for sharing that with me. That's not, do you know what? I don't regret anything that's happened to me in life, like even the really bad bits, because it has it has shaped me into who I've become today is, is had a hand in molding the, the man that I've become. And, and I, 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 I didn't mention this earlier, but every single, and it, it is true, every single negative thing that, that happens in life, there is a positive out there. There is a, there, there is a positive outcome to it. It might not happen when you want it to, but there is like you, you look at all the bad things that happen to you in life, but then you look at all the good. It's, it's like uh, one of the rules of motion, isn't it? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, and I think it's true in every in every in every avenue of life. Um, if a bad thing happens on this day, I can guarantee you, uh, another day further down the week, next week, next month, next year, something really good will happen. And when that really good thing happens, you'll go, "Yeah, do you know what? I look back at that, which is really bad." But I look at what's happened today. Yeah, that's that that shaped me into who I've become today. And it's like, yeah. So bad times don't last yeah. at all. They really don't. Like shit happens, but it doesn't stay shit forever. Yeah. So So this is again like this is honestly today is seamless. Like it's so seamless. Would you say, or or do you have a piece of advice for either a younger version of yourself? Or a younger person who who's going through what you went through with your the same disability as you. Uh, if I was to give advice to my younger self, it'll be a proverbial thing. But I'd be like, put all your hopes and dreams into a ball in your hand, throw it as far as you can, run forward to catch it. Uh-huh. Um, um, but someone going through disability, yeah. Um, Don't listen to the naysayers. Like everyone's going to tell you that you can't do something because of whatever whatever limitation you've got. Don't listen to them. If anything, tell them to sit back and watch the show and enjoy it. Um, um, because, do, do you know, there's this whole thing. You hear it a lot. Um, and it's only meant as good advice as well. It's like, oh, yeah, no, prove them wrong. No, 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 no. No, prove yourself right. Yeah. Um, don't don't do it for them. Do it for yourself. Like just because they think you can't do it, show them. And if you don't, even if you don't do it the first time, like you don't you don't finish it the first time, or you don't get the result you wanted. Well, well, you know what hasn't worked. We'll, we'll do it again, but don't do that. Yeah. Or improve the things that you couldn't do. Like so, it's not about proving. It's, it's never about proving people wrong. Just prove yourself right because at the end of the day yourself is all you've really got to rely on so and I love that you say that it's prove yourself right and don't prove like the proof is not to prove anybody wrong you're proving yourself right because it's that belief in yourself I'm actually writing down prove yourself right now because I love that so much (laughs) love that so I have one question that I find particularly annoying about my disability and it tends to be either what happened or did a shark bite your arm off? And I get that. 
I yeah. got it a lot when I was younger. Do you have a particularly annoying question that that you're just like, oh, not again? Um, oh, don't do do, do uh, annoying questions. Some people don't. Some people are like, oh, they look like all questions are absolutely fine. And I'm like, that's great. I think you might be a nicer person than I am. <laughs> I, no, nah, if anyone says that nothing annoys them, they're lying. Uh, uh, just trying to be nice for the sake of a conversation. But um, um, everyone's got something that annoys them. I've got, I've got something, but what is it? I know what it is. It'll be a case of like, if I don't think of it now, we'll end this podcast and I'll be like, oh, that was it. Um, I'll get a message from you later being like found my question <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah what it would be something around like what happens like oh if you don't mind uh, if you don't mind me asking what happened I, I think ah oh, this is what it is this is what it is now I've said it um, when people ask like, people can ask me anything I love talking about what happens to me um, mm-hmm. not because I'm a narcissist at all but like because it's it is it is it finding out about people is probably one of the best things about people. Like everyone's got a story, but yeah, I completely um, understand that. Um, when people start off their question with, oh, "I don't want to offend you," but um, maybe you don't mind me asking, but do you want to tell me what happened? I think we've become so, as a society, we've become so concerned about not offending people and, pe- and being offended. Yeah. That that it's, it's kind of like that's the kind of the small print if you like of a conversation and it's like don't just ask the question just ask the question if you don't want to answer the question just say do you mind if I don't talk about it rather than go high and mighty and go you just ask me that because I'm disabled oh like, just answer the question you know what I mean if you don't want to answer it just say do you mind I, I, I don't really like talking about it from this like that's fine that's absolutely fine but it takes people. It takes people a lot of courage to come up to me or you or whoever else and go. Um, can I? I hope you don't want me asking. What what happens? You know, yeah. Do you want to tell me what happened or anything? Rather than go the whole face in a rigmarole, going, um, I, oh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be offensive or anything. I don't mean to offend you or anything. If I have, I'm sorry. But but, but what happened? I just ask the question. Yeah, the pre it's the precursor to the question, isn't it? And you're just like, oh, yeah. it's really yeah. like not that. I mean, for some yeah. people, I completely understand that it, it can be a really big a big deal because, you know, some people don't acquire their disability in a particularly, you know, lovely way. It can be quite traumatic. But it is mm. the precursor to the to the question, isn't it? Like, oh, I don't want to upset or offend. And I'm like, well, you might. So you might as well just ask the question. because Nothing you know, wrong with being offended. Like, that's... Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being offended. Nothing happens when you're offended. It's like, but it's like, um, if you don't want to answer the question, uh, you know, just, I don't, I don't really like to talk about it, if I'm honest. Um, and it's, it lets that person know where they stand, you know, wherever, but. Um, <laughs> it's true. Ra- ra- rather than annoy them. And then uh, whatever happens after that happens, doesn't it? But um, yeah, I just, yeah, I think that's the thing that annoys me is the uh, is the is 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 the is, is the caution around being offended, offending you and or whatever. And I'm like, no, just 
just ask. But you don't go into someone's house, do you? Say, oh, I don't want to offend you. Can I use a toilet, please? <laughs> yeah. So, no, you can't. <laughs> I have one final question for you. And that is, Dan, can you say that you are disabled and proud about it? I think I'm, I'm just proud. Uh, yeah, I'm disabled and proud. Um, I am. I am, yeah. Yeah, I am. I really am. I, I love I, I it. I convinced myself, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and I think... Oh, you know, well annoyed. <laughs> it's what it's like, you know, it's the, it's the question that I like to end on because I think everybody's story is completely different. And as I said at the beginning, you know, every relation to disability is completely individual. But actually, at the end of the day, I haven't... I've met a few people who have said that they are disabled and proud, but it took them a long time to get there. But that there is pride in disability and, and being, you know, who you are in terms of your disability. And I think that's incredible. And I really thank you for sharing your story with me today because I think it's an amazing story and it's 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 kept me, like, interested. I like, I want to know everything. <laughs> thank you. Oh, oh, thank you very much. Excuse, oh, excuse me. I've got the hiccups. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoy telling my story. I, I really do. It's something I enjoy doing. Um, I think people get something from it, um, which is nice. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it was always a nice thing. It's a, a reward, a rewarding thing. Um, so yeah, yeah. Literally, I, I'm 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 just a walking open book, really. No <laughs> so if you see Dan walking down the street, you can ask him a question and don't worry about caution. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think do you know what? Like, there's this thing like people. Like some people want to make a joke about like try and be funny. Yeah. Um, and I think, do you know what? Make the joke. But if you're going to dish it out, grab a fork and sit down because you're going to eat it too. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm really excited for this episode to air because I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of good takeaways. There's been some amazing snippets from this. Oh, thank you. For, I, I hope so. I hope that'd be cool if they do. Yeah, even if it's just one person, it's like exactly. And that's what I always say. If even if one person takes some goodness away from this podcast, then it's done its job. But Dan, thank you so much for coming on today, and I can't wait to talk some more. Brooke, thanks for having me, and I'm glad we finally got this sorted. We've been no. <laughs> so, I know we've got it done, and it's so worth it. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much, Brooke. Have a great weekend. And you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.